Oh, of course I'm going to talk about the resurrection today. But I'm also going to talk about our, this is the last sermon in our series on holy habits. They actually come together because our final holy habits, spiritual disciplines that we've gone through that ought to mark a Christian's life is resurrection. You know, this time of year we focus, of course, on the resurrection and the passages we tend to migrate to are those like 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about the confidence that we can have because Christ was raised from the dead. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 15 we often read as an apologetic to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. It's actually not. It's using what was widely accepted as the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection as an argument to prove that we're gonna be raised someday. That's how broadly received was the idea that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And Paul points to many witnesses that were still alive and who would mostly be martyred for that very act of witness. And so uh, it's a powerful passage. But often the, the emphasis is because Christ was raised from the dead, someday we also will be resurrected. And that is a truth. But the message of Easter is so much bigger than that. Here's the truth. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are resurrected now. The scripture has a lot to speak about that. And if we understand what it means that when, before we came to Christ, we were living among the land of the dying and dead, the, the land of the walking dead, short of the great makeup. And we came to Christ and we walked into the land of the living, but not just living, but life that is truly life. Life, as Jesus said, he came to give us that's abundant and blessed. You understand, we right now are to live in and practice resurrection. We're not meant to just focus on it once a year and get really inspired by it. It's meant to actually drive and shape your perceptions of life, your very decisions and your choices. But here's the thing. We have been raised with Christ right now, but we live in this world and we still bear with us the marks and the habits and the thinking patterns of that world. And so we are constantly pulled back towards that life in John 10.10 10, that Jesus described, before describing the life he's called us to as abundant, that life in which the thief breaks in, robs, and steals all the things that bring true life to us. But we're so used to being in that, we just naturally fall into that. But we're called to rise above it. We're called to walk in newness of life. That's resurrected life. And so that's what we're gonna look at for a few minutes today. We're gonna to look at what it means to live in resurrection now, not just count on it in the future. And then we're gonna talk about how do we practice resurrection. So those two things, the, the key verse that's gonna drive our thinking here, at least to launch us, is Romans chapter six, verse four. Let's say this together. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we can live new lives. You see the point there? It's not just a promise about some life to come. It's that right now we are to live a, a new life. What is at the heart of that life? Well, we are going to look more fully in Colossians chapter three together. 
So I'm going to ask you to turn there with me if you have a Bible. If you don't, it's page 834 in the Bible. That's in the pew rack. It's the only passage we're going to be turning to today. So I'd love for all of you to be there. I'm going to exegete or draw out truth from the first verses, and then I'm going to refer to the remaining 10 or so verses that we're going to read, but I want you to see it with your eyes and read it with me so when I comment on it, you'll, you'll know what, what I'm talking about. Colossians chapter 3, begin reading at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so put to death whatever belongs to your old earthly life, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is declared. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul uses the concepts of the cross and resurrection in multiple ways prolifically throughout his writing, which is about half of the New Testament. He, of course, uses it in relation to Jesus as the core of the message of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 that we've quoted several times today, he begins by reminding us what the heart of the, of the gospel is, that Christ died for sin according to the scriptures and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. So he, he holds these up to help us understand the gospel. He uses them to, as an apologetic for the person of Jesus Christ, especially the resurrection. He holds that up as a, 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 a validation of who Christ is, that he was more than man, but he was the God-man, the very Son of God incarnate. It's a, a vindication of his message that he shares because he held up the resurrection as, 
as the way to prove all that he was saying was true, that he indeed was the truth of God uh, declared to man, and as a verification of his mission on earth to come and to seek and save those who were lost. Through the cross to have victory over sin and through the empty tomb to have victory over death itself. And then (coughs) he uses these same two ideas of the cross and the resurrection to talk about our lives as followers of Jesus that we have put to death. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. Were you to go earlier in the book of Colossians, you'd see it even more clearly that he's reminding us of Jesus' own words, that to follow him, it's cross-bearing, that we take up our cross. We follow him into death. We say this verse almost constantly lately and in our sermon series when we baptize folk, but it's Galatians 2.20. It summarizes this idea of the cross and the resurrection for believers. When uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and because of that, I no longer live. I put to death the old self. But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And so both the cross and the resurrection work together to remind us that in one sense we've died to an old way of life. We are no longer living in the way of death and dying. And the resurrection calls us from that into life that is truly life, life abundant, which requires a very different focus. And that's what he's getting at with these first two verses of this chapter. And I want you to look at these two phrases that are quite similar in the verse. Since you've been raised with Christ, since we are a raised and resurrected people, set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. Let's explore those and understand what that means in terms of what changes when we think uh, as resurrected people. First of all, I like the, the imagery of being raised from death and therefore thinking in a way that is above the way of death. Our standards are higher, we call ourselves out to a higher. It's, it's a God height, it's an eternal focus. So I love that imagery, and now let's explore what those two ideas mean. The first aspect of it is resurrected affections. We set our hearts on things above. Now, for the, for the ancient world, the word heart did not mean what it means for us. And in fact, it's not in Paul's original letter. That is the cultural translation for us, the English speakers, and uh, the Western civilization, because when we refer to heart, what are we talking about? Our love, our passions. And so in that sense, it's an accurate translation, but the Greek word is actually zeteo, and it means our passions, our desires, our longings. What Paul is saying is that because we have been raised with Christ, our very passions, all of them, don't function and should not be directed any longer in the way we pursue fulfilling them in the old life. Now, all of our passions are God-given. Did you know that? All of your appetites had an unbroken form before our fall. 
Even our sexuality. There's this myth that I think so many people buy because of this whole idea of Adam and Eve and the apple that they think sex was the original sin. It wasn't. Sex happened before sin. The two became one flesh. Even that is a God-given passion. And then the fall, and then they became ashamed and naked, and even that passion became broken and turned inward and turned downward. And so all of your desires are God-given. There's a way that he intends all of those to be used to bring him honor and glory. See, But that's not the way in our fallen state we meet those needs. And that's the first thing that Paul says ought to mark a person who has been raised with Christ. That we use and direct those those, those passions towards things that honor and glorify God. Did you know you can do that? Did you know even your sex life can glorify God in how you pursue it? It can be the way God intended it. And so we we need to understand that when we look at this whole thing. The way I wrote it is that we no longer look to this world to meet those deep affections and longings. Instead, we look where Christ is seated. We think heavenly, we think eternal in, in in our desires and longings. And Christ is the centerpiece of our of our deepest longings and desires. We first look higher and we see Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is meant to be our heart's truest and deepest desire. And he meets our deepest longings. There are many of you who are disappointed with your partners in life and it's because you're looking for them to meet needs that they can't possibly meet. You may have thought at one time they were a God But 20 pounds later, and living with them for a while, you realize they're not. And you know what? They're going to continue to disappoint you, and you will disappoint your partner because you cannot meet each other's ultimate needs. I've stood at so many weddings and heard people say things like, you complete me. Too many people watch Jerry Maguire, I think. No, we cannot complete each other. We have deeper needs and longings that are met only when we kneel at the throne of Jesus Christ, when we are fully satisfied with his love for us. But more than that, you know, when you love someone, you take on their loves and passions. When we love Christ above all things, then we begin loving what he loves. It's like, it's like that lifelong marriage where a couple may have for many decades gotten used to doing things that they do because one or the other loves to do it. You know, and you fall in that habit and you say, well, I'm doing this because she loves to do it. Or vice versa, she watches football because I like to do it. And by the way, you should watch some of the videos of it following football in our house. Such a blessing. She does that for me. And then that couple reaches a point where one passes on to heaven. And what does the one left behind find themselves doing? Those very same things that at one point they thought they were doing because it made their spouse happy, but now they realize they've come to love those things too. That's what happens. Our loves are shaped by the ones that we love. When we love Christ above all things, What he loves 
becomes what we love most. That's resurrected passions. The second thing he talks about is resurrected thinking. We also set our minds on things above. The Greek word there is phroneo, and it means our decision-making process, our judgment and our thinking. So it's a a strong, intentional contrast between our, our passions and desires and our logic and how we go about looking at things and how that perspective contributes to our choices and our decisions. There should be a radical difference in how we perceive life, its issues, and our choices, not only from the day-to-day, but to the long-term. And I'll tell you one of the biggest things that as a resurrected child of God should shape your thinking is the fact that you see life from an eternal perspective. You make your decisions based on eternity, not just the time you have to live on this earth. As I was writing that in my notes this week, I just sat in that for a while personally. It, it, it just challenged me because I'm, I'm definitely at that stage in life where I could tell you how many years I think I have left. Kind of morbid, isn't it? You're going, why do you even think that way? You can't help it. You just can't. Uh, can I get a word? Anybody here 60 plus? You spend time going, okay, two decades, two and a half. How long did dad live? You know, you start like thinking these things. And, and I'm not like depressed about it. It just begins to shape your decisions. You begin to shape like what's really important. And there's this thing called the bucket list, right? How many of you my age have a, a bucket list? <laughs> no, you're not even gonna admit you're my age, are you? You folks out there. You know, the bucket list, the things I didn't, I've never done. I gotta go do these things before I die. We, we watch TV shows and movies about especially men who go off and drop everything and, you know, gallivant around the world to make sure they've accomplished their bucket list when they die. Who the heck cares? Like, oh, we did it. We lived a good life. No, all that stuff dies with you. It really marked me. And so, you know, since, since I wrote these notes, you know what I've started accumulating? A post bucket list. Think about it. I'm thinking about all the things I get to do 20 or 30 years from now when this corruptible is put on incorruptible. When the pains are gone and when time is no longer a limit and when this sinful nature has, has lost the presence of sin forever and I am free to pursue life as God intended it to be, heaven will not be church 24 and 7. I think that would be hell. <laughs> Even as good as we do it here. Heaven will be, really, it's not heaven we're looking for. It's a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell and we will be the people of God as we were always intended to be and we will fill the earth and we will glorify God and we will do work that brings glory to him that fills us forever and we will pause in the Sabbath rest that refreshes and, oh man, that's a, that's a pretty, that's getting longer. That, that post bucket list is getting longer and longer as I'm sitting here. And that's what needs to shape you. Don't waste your life on things that will die with your body. 
That is not the life to which you have been raised in Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on. Thank you for that whistle. <laughs> the Apostle Paul goes on. I know there's some of you here that some Sundays just want to crack out and applause and an amen. I know you're out there. Someday you're going to have the victory. And it'll probably happen next week when somebody else is preaching and I'm gone for three months. Thanks a lot, folks. So Paul goes on now in this passage and he um, describes, he, he, he makes a commentary on his own premise. That's what he does. This is his premise and now he builds the commentary and the verses that follow, he describes this life that we were raised out of, you know, this old life among the spiritually dead and dying that is filled with ungodly and ultimately unsatisfying choices that lead to the natural result, a society that is filled with anger and rage and malice and slander. Does anyone here need to debate the fact that that is where our culture is? That's where it is. Our culture is the absolute best apologetic of the need for the cross. We keep holding up this pie in the sky thing that we're all essentially good people. And all we need is to you know, start all over and treat each other well. Where does it keep coming from then? It comes from in our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and you know something? That has nothing to do with who's in the White House. Did you know that? There isn't a single person, even the one that you may love sitting in the White House, is going to fix that. They're not. Especially in four years or even eight years. And here's another word of hope for some of you. There isn't a president sitting in the White House that's gonna screw it up so bad in four or eight years that all is lost. And you know why? Because God is still on his throne and the people of God are still here on earth living a resurrected life and calling people into it. I am very hopeful and it has nothing to do with politics. I am very hopeful because to the people of God alive and well, and calling each other out to living in this newness of life and inviting others into it. That's the only hope, folks. That's always been the only hope. And that hasn't gone anywhere. That's us. Whoo, that's good. That's good. Then he goes on, and in the following verses, he describes, at, by contrast, this glorious new life among the spiritually resurrected in which truth is spoken in love. All ethnicities and backgrounds are cherished and welcomed, where humility, kindness, and compassion are expressed with sincere love, where grace and forgiveness demolish grudges and bitterness, and where the message of the cross grounds our relationships and drives our mission so that the peace of Christ rules. You see, in the same way our culture today is the perfect apologetic for our need for the cross, the people of God and how we live ought to be the perfect apologetic for the resurrection. How we live, how we direct our passions, how we make our choices, that we show them that Christ is alive now and he can bring us from death to life. You are the greatest argument for that, or are you? It all depends on whether you've really stepped into this and realized the call to 
resurrected affections and thinking. So how do we do that? How do we take this and not just look at it in a way that we admire and hope to become? How do we practice it? How do we make it a daily habit so that we wake up and remind ourselves, call ourselves into this resurrected life? Well, I wanna go to 1 Corinthians 15 with you. You don't have to turn to it. The passage that is relevant is, is on the screen. This is the end of this chapter that I've now alluded to several times. Paul's uh, tremendous essay on the uh, resurrection of Jesus and the impact, the implications on our lives and our hope for the future. And then he builds up, and really the first words on the screen are the crescendo of this argument. These rhetorical questions that need no answer. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O grave, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next word, what is it? Therefore. So, what we're about to read is now Paul saying, so, this is how this incredible truth that we've just all been moved and inspired by should be impacting your life right now, this day, and every day. Let's say it. Therefore, dear sisters and brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is one of those verses that if I could, I would write on the heart of every Christian. I, I challenge all of you to memorize this passage and use it as a daily call to yourself. Right alongside of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Christ now lives, me, lives in me. The life I live today in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then this verse as how your life should be shaped in practicing resurrection. And if it's, if it's easier for you, I'm gonna give you three points out of it that hopefully you can remember. The first is be firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. No hardship, no intellectual challenge, no failure, no harm that could come to you has the power to overcome your standing with Christ. You can count on God's promises because we have been raised with Christ. It's done, it's accomplished. You can stand in it. You no longer need to worry if you measure up, if you can endure, if you can last. That's not the deal. The deal is Christ raised you up and he does his work perfectly. Amen. You can stand firm in that. Second, be faithful. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. The most important things to which we should give ourselves, our time and our resources are those that matter for eternity. Don't waste your days in this life on matters that will pass away. Just don't. Today, Lord, let everything I do have some sense of eternal purpose. And then finally, be fearless. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can hold to faith and serve God wholeheartedly 
because we are free from the fear of our eternal destiny or of any harm that can separate us from that future or right now from the love and the life of God in Christ. We ought to be a fearless bunch. We ought to stand in the face of ridicule, of misunderstanding, of mischaracterization. The very little, the very little discomfort that we face as Christians in this culture. If it makes you weak at the knees, then you don't understand who you have become in Christ and how firm you are in Him. And you can be fearless in the face of it and show Jesus. So all around the world today, and as we have done in our service, people are saying that great ancient greeting together. Let's say it, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen but here's what I want you to think about. We need to declare that to each other, no doubt about it. But here's what it means to be in the resurrected life now. If that is true, because Christ is risen, this is also true. You and I are risen right now. We are risen indeed. And if we're gonna live that resurrected life together, may I suggest that we remind each other of that as well? We are risen. We are risen indeed. We are risen. We are risen indeed. Last chance, folks. We are risen. We are risen indeed. Amen. 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 Father, this is the truth of the resurrection, that not only did you defeat death, but you called us into this life now, that we are right now raised in Christ, we are already eternal beings living an eternal life. Right now, our lives, our affections, our thoughts, our priorities, our passions, everything can and ought to be shaped by that so that the world can see the reality that they too can step from death to life and walk in newness of life. Father, may, may this be the life that we truly walk together as your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.